Welcome to Income for Baby Boomers. If you want to learn about exciting new businesses each week from other boomers who speak your language and have started a unique and profitable business from home, you have come to the right place. For those who would like to try some of these low investment opportunities, stay tuned. We'll help you get started in your own profitable adventure. Now with your host and entrepreneur, Ken Queen. I'd like to welcome Jeffrey Shaw, photographer, speaker, coach. How are you doing, Jeffrey? I'm terrific. Thanks, Ken. Uh, good. And as I said, I love the way you spell Jeffrey, R-E-Y on the end. That's just like my son. <laughs> well, he's just, as we said, the right way of spelling it. The right way of spelling it. Super. Uh, I was looking at your portfolio and then I saw, you know, the only picture of, of you when you were a child, which, you know, maybe had helped you, motivated you to get into photography, you know, in the first place. But when did you initially want to start being in the, the business? Well, you know, and it's a funny thing with that, that photograph on my website um, is, you know, intended to tell the story uh, as to why I kind of determined I likely became a photographer without me realizing it. You know, it's that story that the way we live our lives. Um, no, it wasn't a conscious thought. It wasn't until you know, well into my career, I'd say 15 years into my career when I was working with a coach and the coach was really pushing me like, why are you a photographer? You know, that, you know, mm -hmm. which is much more common work today that people try to find their why and what, why they do what they do. But right. it wasn't so common in this in 15 years ago. And uh, yeah. this coach was really pushing me and I, I just blurted out, I said, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm the youngest of three boys and there's no photographs of my childhood. And um, after I said it, I realized I think there was some truth to that. So I dug long and hard, and I literally found one photograph of my entire childhood. I mean, I was the youngest of three boys, and I think my parents were bored and, you know, financially strapped. And there's just, just I have one photograph of my childhood. And I, I do think on some level, it uh, created the fascination that I've always had about family memories and photography. So... Uh, I just enjoyed, I enjoyed it as a hobby as a kid. Uh, we had a dark room in our home, so my father also played with photography as a hobby. That developed into a real passion for the dark room and uh, the chemistry of it. And you know, eventually, you, you, eventually you run out of things to, to print, so you start shooting. And I went off to photography school intending on photographing architecture. Uh, and then I started putting people in the architecture and I fell in love with photographing people. Uh, and, but I do shoot entirely on location. So the architectural element, whether it's indoors or outdoors, there's still an architectural element to it. There's some gorgeous pictures. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, well, your first entrepreneur venture, what was it in and what age were you? Yeah, I, I, Probably ridiculously young, probably younger than I can imagine because I always – I love the creation of business. And I can honestly – I'd say maybe my first my first official entrepreneurial adventure was uh, selling eggs. Uh, All right. You know, I, I lived in the country, and I, and I, I had this idea that one thing everybody uh, needed was eggs uh, on Sunday morning. So I went to a local farm, and I, I convinced the farmer to, to let me gather the eggs together and – I went door to door selling eggs, but even before then, you know, I would say I was always figuring out a way to to sell something. I used to help neighbors coordinate uh, their garage sales and tag sales, and I would take a percentage. Uh, <laughs> and I was probably like ten years old. Now, and truthfully, I've never I've never quote unquote had a real job. I've I've uh, always created my outcome. Uh, so I, I think I've always had an entrepreneurial. Uh, even as a when I dabbled in photography. I was printing photographs for other people and making money that way as well. 
So uh, after doing eggs for a few years, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? What was your next venture? <laughs> then I sold. Well, you know, the, the selling eggs door to door then became selling Christmas cards door to door, right? Wow. Um, I was always just looking for what did people need, you know, what was the demand? Uh, and to this day, I think that's really, if you want to really break down business to its basics, you know, business 101, it is determining, just it's aligning. It's aligning what you have with what people need or what people want or how you can serve. So, you know, what better thing to sell over the holidays than Christmas cards? So I went door to door selling uh, Christmas cards. What a background, because I know a lot of people are afraid of sales and, they don't realize if you don't sell, then you don't have a company, <laughs> you don't have a business. So you've you got the the sales down pat, especially door to door, which is the toughest. Well, and, I mean, let's face it, that's a lot of rejection. Right, there. and the crazy thing is, honestly, is I've always identified myself as being a really shy person. Not so much today; I've grown, but well into my twenties, I battled shyness, and that everything I did was a challenge. Um, more so than even being introverted, although I was introverted as well. But they're two different things. I mean, I truly, you know, I was I was introverted and still consider myself somewhat introverted. Um, and technically, I am. I tend to to recharge by being alone. Uh, however, I definitely was shy. I mean, I was afraid of these things. So going to door to door was paralyzingly scary to me. Um, and yet, it it actually worked. I mean, when when you answer when one answers that, I think that's what changed my perspective on it is when I realized that people responded to me really well. When people opened the door, and I think energetically I was shy and, and timid, and that made it very comfortable. I, I, I didn't get a lot of rejection. Maybe people bought out of pity. I don't know. But um, – well, whatever your sales it pitch works. was, it worked. Exactly. <laughs> and I started, I guess I started learning to leverage the shyness, even though it was, for me, really scary to go to door to door. I realized I was received well, so I was willing to step up to it. And to this day, I think that's just part of being in business. Right. I was thrust into door to door because I was thousands of miles away from home. And the only place that would hire me was a door to door uh, encyclopedia company. Wow. <laughs> So I got my, my feet wet with, with that. Yeah. Which Talk about business tough. alignment. Try selling encyclopedias door-to-door today, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> when ha- hey, in the world of Google, that's just not going to happen. You, yeah, you, you won't even get into the neighborhood. Right, right. <laughs> They'll be uh, profiling you or something. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so uh, that, that's a great foundation for, for what you're doing and for anyone's business, no doubt. And the, the boomers, the people that listen to me, a lot of them uh, are – uh, 50, 60, they've been laid off or early retirement and don't necessarily have a big uh, cash flow there. And some of them are just bored to death. And so they're searching and trying to figure out what they can do. And so uh, I'm, you know, we're picking your brain to figure out how does a entrepreneur think and, and how could they maybe even copy what you do in their city? You know, so there's like two, two possibilities there. And also you, those that, that uh, live there could certainly use your services. So that would be that, you know, that aspect of it too. Um, as far as photography today, is this something that can be easily started, would you say? Now, that's a great question in the way that you framed it. Can it be easily started? It can be started more easily than ever because everyone can own a good camera nowadays. You know, when I started 30 years ago, there was a huge distinctive difference between my equipment and anybody else's equipment, which gave you that added advantage. I mean, I just, by showing up, I looked highly professional because I had a right. massive camera uh, today. So is it easy? It's easier to start. It's easier to, to uh, start 
the process of being a photographer and calling yourself a photographer, it's an uncertified field. It's far more challenging to succeed at it because there's so many more people doing it. Right. Um, I call I refer to it as information equality, you know, in, in almost every industry, not even almost. I can I think it's fair to say every industry has an issue of information equality in that in the old days, you know, years ago, there was a division between uh, what the sellers knew and what buyers knew. The sellers knew more. When you went to go buy a car, for example, yeah. the seller of that car had a lot more information than you did. And you just prayed and hoped you weren't going to get ripped off. Right. Nowadays, there is if you go to buy a car today, there is nothing that you can't find out about that car. So there's absolute information equality across every industry. And in photography, the equality is in the equipment, as I was saying. So if if information is equal, if equipment is equal, then you then have to figure out, well, what can be different? So in photography, mm -hmm. for example, if the if the equipment is the same, the only thing that can be different is the quality of the imagery and the customer service that one receives. So you have to focus on what you can create that's different because so much of, like I said, with information equality uh, and equipment equality, you have to figure out then how you can distinguish yourself as being different. All right. Okay. So your imagery, certainly you got it down. It's beautiful. And the service part, is that a big thing you focus on in your, your business? It is. Um, I serve and, and cater to a, a very affluent clientele. So, uh, yes, I do provide really good service, but I think it's more than that. It's, it is aligning with the right clientele and finding the right clientele that you can really serve well. Um, I get the needs of my clients. Like I thoroughly understand the needs of my photography clients, uh, so much so that I can kind of address their needs before they do. I mean, I know, for example, I know that my clients, because they have the financial means, I know that they want to make sure that they're responsible to all their kids. They get all their kids photographed at the same age, uh, all those mile markers, but they're busy and they may not have time to track all that. Well, I do. I make sure that their kids all get photographed at the same, same ages, right? So uh, when I, if I call a client and remind them that it's time to photograph their son or daughter because we did the older siblings at the same age, remarkably, that never feels like sales to them, right? right. Because I'm, I'm actually addressing a real need that they have. And it just reminded me, I've done so many businesses in my life that uh, I forgot half of them, but one of my businesses was at one time to sell a $500 baby package door to door. So people would buy that and as their kids, you know, every so many months they would get photographed over five years or whatever it was and they paid $500 sure. for it, which was uh, like 40 years ago. So that would be like 2000 now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but they would buy these packages. People would buy them like crazy. Yeah, but you wouldn't go knock on the door. I mean, you know, again, it's you you find the market, right? You wouldn't be go knocking on the door of the grandparent, you know, community, right? You knew you had to you figured out the doors that there were the right ones to knock mm -hmm. on in the first place. True. Which is why I say, yeah, I mean, so much of it comes down to really taking the time to align yourself with the right people that you should be speaking to in the first place. So when you first started photography, did you narrow it like this, or is this something that you've developed over the years saying, these are the kind of clients I want, and these are the clients I don't want? I have to, well, I have to say, I sort of fell into it, to be honest with you. Now, um, I didn't come from this type of community. I grew up, you know, lower middle class, middle class, whatever you want to call it, in upstate New York. And I returned there to, after photography school, but real quickly realized this just was not, the community was not aligned with my values. I was trying to charge way more than the community would 
pay. Uh, so it was clearly going to be a struggling business. But the reason I was charging more is because I really believed in what I was creating. You know, I really believed I was creating family portraits that uh, were really memorable. And yes, people could at that time they could have gone to Sears and, and for 19.99 bought a pound of photographs. And yeah, but but then the upsell is a few hundred dollars later. Right. Yeah. But I was you know I was selling things on a higher. It just was not matched up with the area and. Uh, I, I literally got lost off a highway, if you can believe that. I was driving through Connecticut, and, and uh, I realized I took a wrong exit. I wound up on a parkway that I didn't mean to be on, and I had to get off the parkway and try to figure out how to get back on going the other direction. And when I got off this very wooded highway, parkway, it was quite beautiful, I was driving around houses that you know we, we would refer to as mansions. Like There were these huge mansions mm -hmm. with landscape lawns and tree-lined driveways, and I had never seen anything like this because I didn't grow up like this. But what struck me was the beauty of it all because I had gone to photography school to photograph architecture. So mm -hmm. I didn't equate it to money, to be honest with you, and I don't know that I could have. I was 22 years old at the time, and I didn't know anything of money. If you asked me what a lot of money was, I, I don't know that I could have even told you because I didn't have anything to, to relate it to. But what I knew, everything is there was a high level of care. Everything was so beautiful and manicured and landscaped, and that intrigued me. So I decided, gee, why, why aren't I doing my business here? Because these people seem to like what I like. They seem to value what I value. So I then started researching the area um, in this, this town in Connecticut and uh, found out, you know, ways of marketing my work and donating to silent auctions and just ex getting my work known. And I have to say it took off remarkably quick, and I believe that it did. And although there were already photographers serving that area, they weren't serving in the same way that I could. I wanted to photograph on location. I wanted – the other photographers were photographing in studios in those days, which made no sense to me. These people live in fabulous, beautiful homes. Mm -hmm. It's like, why aren't those the backgrounds? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, it actually – good, good determination. Yeah, it just you know, it was crazy to me, but it was just you know, that's what those photographers had done up to that point, and they didn't stop and take a fresh look at it. Um, but I came along at the right time. I was 22 years old. This was a, a very – a community that embraced me and – uh, referred me eagerly to their friends, and uh, it took off rather quickly. But honestly, it all comes down to the fact that I understood them and they understood me, and it didn't matter that I didn't come from that. What mattered was that I was I was creating portraits that I believed were important to this family history, and they also believed that, and they were willing to pay for it. Here's the big thing, a big takeaway I'm getting right now is. If you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. Uh, yeah, and it's more than confidence, I think, right? I mean, there's a way that we're, you have to be confident in yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but I think more, it's, it's knowing what you stand for you know, and not compromising on that. Like I really believe in the value of family photography, uh, and I'm willing to fight for it. Today, of course, we, as, as it's often said amongst photographers, this will be the most photographed generation in history who will likely not wind up with any photographs because everybody's shooting digitally on their phone and people don't store them properly. They don't back up, you know, so amongst yeah. photographers, there's yeah. a real concern about, you know, the longevity of, of photography. I mean, as professionals, we're trying to, to take a stand and say, this is crazy. You're all taking, the world is taking tons of photographs. People aren't backing them up. They're losing their digital photographs. What's going to become of that? That's the value of still hiring a professional photographer. And, and having that photographer create beautiful portraits that you want to display in your home, not just giving you digital files, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows? I mean, how many times have we seen floppy disks? <laughs> you know, I mean, how often have we seen the technology change 
And are the digital files created today going to be able to be read by the devices 20 years from now? Mm -hmm. So there's still a huge value, which is what I stand for. I stand for people having portraits in their home, things that I, I print and I frame and, I, and they, they're displayed on my client's walls, their tabletop, they're given as gifts. That's what I believe for, and I don't compromise on that. Like it's hard, <coughs> excuse me, in another field, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, uh, in another field, it's uh, eight track or hard to record. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we can't rely on everything, all this technology. And it's a, it's a, I think it's a, it's a concern everyone should have in the way that they're handling their digital photography, whether it's professional or, or their amateur photography. They should legitimately be concerned about the longevity of it and how, whether they will have those family memories that, memories that they, they hold today, will they have them 10 years from now? The other uh, thing I really got from you is that you didn't go after the money. You went after the idea of, hey, I want to do photography and I want to do it on a high professional level. And so you weren't looking at the dollar signs often, you know, <laughs> getting into business. We were looking at the dollar signs saying, you know, I... Uh, I could sell a ton of vacuum cleaners, but I hate them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's not a business for you to go into then. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you, you're taking your love first and figuring out how to make money for it. it. You know, it's, it, that's always a really tough call because a lot of creative people, they need more business. So a lot of people that come to me for coaching, I actually have to help them be better entrepreneurs because they, they likely don't even consider themselves an entrepreneur. Um, so... Often, I need to start getting a creative person, and I work with a, a range of people, not just photographers, but a range of creative thinkers, uh, designers, and event planners. and Writers. Right, exactly. I work with a broad, but they're all creatives, and they often don't think of themselves as an entrepreneur. They don't come with a business mind. So I often first need them to get the look at the dollars because they've been oblivious to it. Right. But the interesting thing is, to your point, it, you don't want that to become the focus of why you do what you do. It, it become, you need to frame your business and create a business structure and a proper business model, and you need to have some numbers and some budgets and, and know where you're going. Once you've established that, then you kind of want to let it go and focus on the work that you're doing and trust that the money will follow. Like at this point in my life, uh, as a mid-aged baby boomer, and uh, I'm kind of on my second round career here as a coach, uh, we're much more focused on the impact. You know, yes, I started my coaching practice making sure I built a viable business model. I know what my funnels are. I know uh, I, you know, my estimated income and sales for the different categories of which I serve, et cetera. But then that needs to be let go. And what we focus on day to day is the impact. What we focus on every day is how much reach are we gaining through our podcast? How many people are opting into our list? How many people are downloading content? Because I want to know what's the impact I'm creating. I trust that the money will follow. And believe me, there are plenty of days where you're discouraged by that. It's like, I'm creating big impact. When is the money going to follow? Right? But you just have to trust and believe because that, that to me is at the root of prosperity. It's a receiving energy. So you just have to believe that there's a relative formula between the impact you make on others and the return that you get for that impact. So when you set up your website, you set up the streams of income. Uh, I'm going to coach. I'm going to speak. I'm going to uh, go out and take uh, photographs. So you set up and put the prices there. 
but now you can leave it alone. You've set up the structure, and now you can focus on doing a great job in those areas and not worry about them. But if you don't have those structures in place, then just have the website, and then you're going to try to struggle with the money. That's not a good way to do it is what you're saying it sounds Exactly. Like. And just to be clear on the differences, like my, my podcast, Creative Warriors, I mean, it takes up uh, a considerable amount, as you know, as a host, it takes up a considerable amount of time. Um, so I look at the time ratio and, you know, it, it, the time invested. If you looked at the money return, it, it would almost – if I were uh, coming into somebody else's business, I would look at the time that they're investing into their podcast and the financial return, and I'd say, this is the first thing that has to go, <laughs> right? Okay. But it has a tremendous impact, right? I mean, it's the impact because the reach of a podcast is, is significant, right. and as the audience grows, it gets greater and greater. And I also – have a huge uh, appreciation for the joy factor. You know, I look at the context of how I spend my day. My podcast is probably the most joyous thing I do throughout the day. I absolutely love speaking to the people I get to speak to. So I put a big value on the joy factor. Um, but the, the, it's the impact. I mean, I stick with it because of the impact. And again, it's the trusting that the impact by spreading uh, the, the message and the work that I want to get out there, I just trust that that will result in good things, whether it's speaking engagements, whether it's other guests or people that are interested coming to our website and eventually enrolling in a coaching program. I, I totally agree. It, it is a joy and, it, and the opportunity to meet folks like yourself uh, that, have, that have lived amazing lives and are a great example of how I should live mine and how others should live theirs. And that, yeah, the value of uh, a podcast is immeasurable to me. I agree with you. Uh, just to go back to one other thing you mentioned there, you were 21 when you did this business or whatever, right? 22? Actually, I was 20 years old when I started. I got out of therapy school. I was 20. Um, I actually rented my first storefront in my hometown before I even finished photography school. Um, so I was just shy of 20 years old. Uh, oh, you stepped out right away. I did, yeah. Um, I, yeah. So I was 20 years old when I actually well, started. Here, here was the point I was getting at. Can a boomer who's 55 uh, do as well as a 21-year-old or better? Was that an asset or, or, or not, you would say, to get into the photography business? To get into the photography business, uh, specifically, hmm, I was thinking about it in general. I mean, because I think there are... There are advantages and disadvantages. I mean, as a 20-year-old going into business, you have no fear. And I also didn't have a whole lot to lose, right? right? I mean, I think initially uh, I drew, I want to say, $150 a week from the business. Uh, I, I went into business in the proper way. I had I got a bank loan. Uh, actually, I got a most of the loan came from uh, my uh, grandmother, and then I got some from a bank, so I was able to buy the equipment, to renovate the space I wanted, and I knew to have a proper amount of cash flow so that I actually could draw something I needed to, to live on. Uh, but I think the draw was $150 a week starting out, right? So not a lot to lose, not a lot to, of responsibility. So those are some of the advantages of being young. Being a baby boomer, you probably have more at risk, more at stake. Um, in what way? Well, I think there's – what do we have at stake in our 50s or 60s? I mean I think there's a lot. I mean it may be that we have built a lot – we might have expenses. I mean our, certainly our expenses are going to be much greater in our 50s than they were in our 20s. So there's a certain burden of responsibility by being made alive. I also think there's more emotional at risk, and I've spoken to a number of people our age about this that um, it feels like you have a little more emotion at risk that you want – things 
to work out. You know, you want to succeed. Not to mention, of course, there's the maybe maybe the added pressure of retirement age not being quite so far away. So you just don't have the time to make as many mistakes. But I think there's um, there's a little more emotional risk in how it feels when you're 50, 60 years old uh, versus when you're 20 years old. If something doesn't work out when you're 20 years old, it'll roll off your shoulders and you know you have decades of trying again. Uh, I, I said to somebody once that I think optimism is both the greatest asset to an entrepreneur and its greatest curse. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think entrepreneurs, <laughs> right? I mean, entrepreneurs, yes. yeah. entrepreneurs are often inherently optimistic. And it also can be, you know, the biggest curse because we often can think, you know, the next thing around the corner is going to be the big break we've been looking for. And sometimes it can foolishly you know, keep you going along as opposed to stopping and, and making a logical decision. I, but I do think we have more emotional, uh, more emotions at risk in in midlife. So what it, it sounds like, uh, so if someone had a small pension, so they don't have to rely on uh, making money from the photography, but they're not doing well, they would like to live a, a better lifestyle. Um, fear of looking foolish, a failure, feel a fear of failure is the biggest obstacle to a boomer doing something like this? Then you're saying it sounds. Like. I, you know, it's is it fear of failure? I don't. You know, it's. I think it's. Uh, it doesn't have to be a fear of failure. I think there's another side to it, which is, like I said, it's, instead of worrying about the. Gosh, it's almost hard to put to words. Because um, I know for myself, I don't really fear failing. It wouldn't be the first time. Although, like, you know, it's, it's just you just roll on. You just keep going. But I feel like I have more at stake in it working. There's a difference. Like, I don't worry so much about it. There's no shame in failure. I don't worry about a fear of failure. Um, it's the feeling of, of validation. You know how there's a point, and I've spoken to, to many uh, middle-aged folks that uh, and it seems to be a little bit more of a sensitivity with men where you go through that point, late 40s, early 50s, where you start to wonder if you're irrelevant. You know, and if you're in the, in the corporate world, a lot of people feel like they're being pushed out in a way. Um, if you're, and they are. Right, exactly. <laughs> and if you're self-employed, it can just, you know, you wonder if, you know, and I turned, my, one of my most traumatic moments as an entrepreneur is when I turned 40, which I think is on the younger side, but I had already been in business. I mean, I was turning 40, and I was excited to turn 40, to be honest with you. I thought it was, first of all, I had the coolest birthday. I turned 40 on 040404. I mean, I had the coolest 40th birthday. Mm-hmm. So I was excited about turning 40, but I had been 20 years into my career, and the photography industry was dramatically changing. I mean, I had been a photographer that was known for traditional style color photography. And along, you know, the trend at the moment was very candid black and white photography. My photography was posed, this was very candid. And I remember saying to a former assistant of mine, I said, I think I'm done with. I'm 40 years old. I, I'm irrelevant. Who's ever going to hire me anymore? Everybody wants this really candid black and white stuff. That's just not me. I could try to be that, but I wouldn't be being myself. And I, the, feeling of irre- the feeling of being irrelevant was huge. Now, as I said, I, but I think but a fear again is what the root was. Yeah, it's kind of just I don't you know. To me, it was more, it was different than a feeling of fear. It, just, it was the feeling of relevance. I wanted to still be relevant. I still wanted to be important. I still wanted to be, uh, I still wanted to be, to be good. I wanted to be valuable, right? I wanted to count for something. And like I said, I think 40 is a little on the younger side for that. I think it's because I'd started my business younger, where there seems to be an emotion that a lot of people seem to feel closer to their 50s. So mm-hmm. to me, it's, I, I don't worry so much about a feel, 
feeling of a fear of failure. As, but I do feel I have more emotions at stake in what I take on because I want it to succeed because I want to feel relevant. Because I, I know the failure is going to roll off my shoulder, but will, what will hurt more is if I go to my grave not feeling like I really mattered. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, so there's a difference between yeah. failure and feeling like you matter. Um, absolutely, yeah. You want your life to count for something. I, I agree with you there. Um, but I think the stumbling block, the, 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 the core for everyone is always that fear, fear of relevancy, fear of what will the family think? Oh, he's doing something crazy again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you've got all the critics out there ready to, to jump on it, which uh, any adventurous person is going to have. I'm sure Edison had all kinds of people saying, hey, you're crazy. What do you, what do you mean a light bulb? We have good kerosene lamps. What's the matter with you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, so he didn't uh, he didn't get a lot of support, but he had to go out there. He went out there and did it anyway. Yeah, I think you know, fear. Uh, it's it's a voice. It's always there. It can you know, it just needs to be managed. I mean, uh, fear can be your best friend. You know, if you if you're putting yourself in a dangerous situation, uh, physically or yeah. otherwise, you know. But to, other than that, it's just it's a conversation. You have a conversation with your fear. I mean, we all have fears, uh, and yes, maybe they increase as you get older. But it's just a conversation to be had, so that you it's a reality check. You can check in. Is this is this a, a wise and intelligent thing to do? But hardly ever, if ever, does fear have your future interest at heart. Because the whole basis, I mean, uh, fundamentally, fear is about ke- survival. Fear is about keeping you alive and keeping you okay, right? Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, that's, that's the way it's supposed to exactly. be. Exactly. But it's not so concerned about your, you know, your happiness and your future. It's just trying to keep you safe. So it's a good reality check. Um, but uh, it, it's rarely the place to make a decision from. So, again, I guess, as you say, fear used in the right way has value. If you said, okay, uh, I'll show them, you know, so you're afraid you're going to fail, so you're going to show those people, relatives, whoever they might be, that I can do this. So it may have, uh, you may be able to use the reverse of an idea, though a lot of people say you really, you can't, you have to use, but I think you can't. I think there's a possibility of using the reverse of an idea because some people are run by negatives. Mm-hmm. And so the fear of the fear of I'm not going to be able to provide for my family pushes them to great heights. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So some fear really does work well. But for a lot of us, the fear uh, hurts us. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting is while we're, while we're at an age where our fears can be increased, I also think we're at an age where old fears can die quicker than ever. Um, I, you know, I know, I'll give you an example. I have always had a paralyzing fear of heights. Uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I went to the Grand Canyon. It was one of the most awful experiences of my life because that is one big hole, right? (laughs) I mean, I tried, I haven't been there, but it looks like a deep, deep spot. I mean, I tried to enjoy the beauty of it, but I mean, I literally was paralyzed with fear because there's no guards and there's this big gaping you know hole of the earth and i was there with as a single dad and i was there with three kids and i was just petrified anybody's going to fall in but i mean i've i have always had a physical reaction to fear a deep deep fear of fear and uh, last year i was in a leadership development group which uh had a lot of rope course challenges to it and uh a lot of they, they all seem to involve fear which i was like why does personal development have to conquer height like, why is that though? You know, but you realize a lot of people. Yeah. Can we do like spiders? Exactly, because yeah, I can handle that. Just keep me away from heights and snakes. <laughs> so, um, but I have to say, 
I, I don't worry about heights anymore. I mean, well, I still I can still recognize how my body responds to it, but I know I'm okay with it. Like I it really, so I think the advantage of of being our age is while we may life may come with more fears, there may be more at risk. I also think it's an opportunity to shut off old tapes and old fears in a way that we never had before. We've just been listening to it for so long. And I, find, I actually wrote an article for Huffington Post somewhat related to this. Uh, the title of it was uh, Life Can Turn on a Dime. And I wrote that article because so often that term is presented negatively. Like, you know, live your life because you could walk out the door and get hit by a bus, right? Life can turn on a dime. But the positive side of turning on a dime is what I, I want to embrace at this point in my life. I mean, I, I know at midlife, I can a fear can turn over and no longer be a fear. Uh, I can be awoken to something that I thought was I believed or I thought that I understood for the past 50 years that I now don't have to believe. So I think there's more opportunity for us to think differently at this age as well. Mm -hmm. Well, facing your fear is, you know, often people talk about that. I mean, I was on a Tony Robbins course or something 20, 30 years ago when he first started and he threw you out of a plane. I mean, that really got you used to heights, you know? I'd say so. Every, everything from there on, it was like, I mean, the whole body shakes, you know, yeah. for a while after that. And your, your body like, wow, what was that? But then you realize, you know, that, yeah, there is danger there, no doubt. But uh, you were, you know, more chance of winning the lottery than getting hurt, maybe, uh, you know, yeah. if you're parachuting with yeah. someone knows what they're doing. Yeah, I think at this point in my life, like I said, I've had so many moments in the last several years, particularly because I've been on such a course of personal development and developing myself as a coach so I can support others. So I, I do a lot of self-development and I've had more turn on a dime moments in the last several years than I've had in all the years collectively before that. And I just think part of that comes with maturity. It's like uh, I remember I was attending a workshop in L.A., and uh, we got into this conversation that I, I said I always felt like I was the last one chosen, right? And you know, of course, uh, and I was relating it to some business struggles in that moment. Like, just you know, I had, I had applied repeatedly for several speaking engagements that I wasn't getting, and I was saying, you know, man, why is it my peers are getting to be on these stages? And uh, so I was just feeling like I get, you know, I just story of my life, right? It's been that's been going on since I was in grade school that I was always the last one chosen for all the sports. And so I had this old tape in my head, you know, as a 45 year old or something at the time saying, yeah, I'm always the last one chosen. And uh, we wound up playing this game and doing this exercise, which resulted in realizing, first of all, I realized how much I hated playing games. I mean, as soon as we were told we were going to play a game, I was like, oh, I hate games. And I've always hated sports. And uh, it was through this exercise I realized that it wasn't that I was always the last one chosen. I hated playing the game. I hated playing the win-lose game, which is why I hate sports, because somebody wins, somebody loses. Like, show me a sport where both teams win. Then I'm interested, Mm-hmm. Right. And I realized I've always I've when, you know, as even in grade school, I put myself in the back of the line because I didn't want to be chosen. I didn't want to play, you know, the soccer game because somebody was going to win and somebody was going to lose. And I didn't care, honestly, if I was on the winning side. I'm incredibly competitive in business. I'm really competitive in other areas, but it's because I'm competitive with myself. I don't get a big joy out of competing with someone and I win and they lose. Actually, actually, I'm uncomfortable with it. I'd rather, like I said, show me a sport where both wins, and that's awesome, where everyone wins. Um, so that, you know, you re- suddenly you can have, you can, your life can change on a dime, and you realize, oh, it's not that I'm the last one chosen. 
I'm playing it quiet. I'm playing it shy. I'm putting myself in a position such as I appear that I'm at the back of the line. No wonder I'm not being chosen. How can I step up? How can I step up in the front of the line if it's something I want to participate in and speak a little louder and make myself seen? So you're emanating the wrong vibration and you got get what you think. Exactly. It's, you know, it's and until you change your mindset, nothing else is going to change. And I, the irony is, I mean, this is, and, and I kid you not, uh, this, I was, there was a cat, there was a particular event that was a catalyst for me to go to this workshop. I had actually, a, there was a speaking engagement that was super important to me in the photo industry that I, it was the national convention. And for the second year I had applied and gotten denied. And I was so frustrated that I had gotten denied because I actually had been told by somebody on the speaker's uh, selection committee that I was a shoe in. And mm -hmm. suddenly I got the phone call that I, didn't get it chosen. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. I mean, there were so many advocates on my side and I was incredibly discouraged. And now I, I live in Manhattan and I got an email from my coach who was co-facilitating this workshop in LA uh, and the workshop, he said, oh, I forgot to tell you about this. It's tomorrow. Like any chance you can come to California tomorrow? Wow. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do this. <laughs> so I was so discouraged by not getting this speaking engagement. I literally got on plane, went to LA, did this workshop, I came home. I came home just in time for a, another speaking engagement. I got off that stage and a woman walks up to me and uh, says, why aren't you photograph? Why aren't you speaking at this other event, the one that I had wanted to? And I said, well, I'd applied twice. and I've been denied. She goes, I will take care of this. A week later, I got a phone call from the organization that I was hired as a speaker for the event that I had just a week before been denied. Mm -hmm. right. Now, you know, something changed, right? I mean, it was just kind of remarkable because the coincidence, it was, if nothing else, it was the universe saying, keep on going, right? I mean, I, in my mind, the only thing that had really changed was my perception and my mindset. But I do think that energetically that everything else just fell into place. You know, there happened to be the and, right person in the audience at the next speaking engagement who led to the path. And that seemingly rabbit trail going over to that last minute conference probably change your mindset that helped this to bring the whole thing about anyway so even though it looked like it was nothing to do with it it may had have had everything to do with it yeah and i think in part you know it's that's a great point i think in part what changed is i can remember when i got off the, the stage and this woman came up to me and asked me why i wasn't speaking at that event i actually expressed my frustration and disappointment you know i think prior to then i may have i I would have either made it seem like it wasn't important or I may right. have pretended because I, you know, I was the shy kid at the back of the line, mm -hmm. right? Where I was like, I know, can you believe it? Like, what's wrong with those people? Like, I, I expressed my frustration. Mm -hmm. So she knew I wanted it. There was desire there. And she said, oh, yeah, this is wrong. You have to speak there. I'll take care of this. And she yeah. had the right connections and made it happen. So I do think my change of mind very much changed energetically how I responded in that moment, which gave her a different result. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of there's this energy that goes before us. And when we're down, everyone knows it. When we're up, everyone knows Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. The, and I've, you know, through my, yeah, through my podcast, I've interviewed so many people that will, you know, and people that are very much the corporate world, you wouldn't think that think along the lines of energy. But absolutely, I mean, the energy field and how you, you know, the energy you bring into the room ahead of time is, uh, is, is hugely significant. Well, they photograph it. They know there's energy all around their bodies. So there's. I mean, we don't understand exactly what's going on, but believe me, there's there's a there's something that goes before you. Yeah. There's no doubt, good or bad. Exactly. Uh, and also, I I 
the I think the big stumbling block that you really were pointing out is don't do comparison. If you compare yourself to everyone else every time you go to do something, then you know there's a good chance you're going to fail because you're. It, it, it might be an unfair comparison, you know. Oh, how come I? How come Edison could think of those ideas and I can't? Whatever, you know. You may you first of all maybe comparing yourself with someone that's not in your category, and comparison can cause to bring you down. And I think uh, what you're saying is don't don't do the comparison thing. You know, all it does is defeat you. Yeah, I think there's uh, it's one of the things I often need to coach my clients through is what I refer to as the inner voice and outer voice um, because there's more outer voices nowadays than ever because of social media and uh, plenty of people wind up on whether they're on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn and they see other people doing really great things and they're like you know not that this person has more followers than me this person has more endorsements on LinkedIn I mean you can get so caught up in the comparisons that I you know and what's always been amazing to me is that for the most part, the people that I coach are because they're creatives. They're highly intuitive in the first place, right? They're they're people that are they're right. In. They're very tuned in, and yet what winds up happening is they wind up losing trust in that and listening to all the outer voices. So there, I have actually had made some clients remove themselves from social media just for a month. Now I'm also realistic. I'm like, you know, what? you're not, you're never going to shut off all those outer voices. But what you and so don't even attempt it. You know, I mean, if you're never going to shut off the uh, social media information, and you shouldn't, because there's a lot of great information out there to gather. What most people need is a greater filter of discernment, like what's what serves you well and what doesn't. And have confidence in, in your own voice, your inner voice, and stick with your gut instinct. Uh, like I said, the most intuitive people ultimately let go of trust in their own instinct because they start the outer voices start getting so loud. And it's what dog you feed. Yes. Uh, you know, there's a big dog and the little dog. If you feed, <laughs> if you feed the wrong dog, he's going to get bigger. Yeah, yeah. And the other one's going to get little, smaller. And and one of the things that I think you're mentioning is with the comparison thing, two traits that come in that aren't really good ones: jealousy and envy. Yeah. So now you've got this you're fighting that's helping to bring you down because you're jealous and jealous doesn't usually empower you. It may, but, but probably empower you to do the wrong thing, if anything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I have a, something I coach to called a prosperity plan. And one of the elements of having a, 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 pros, a plan for prosperity, one of them is that you have to be clean of that which you want to become, right? If you want to become prosperous in life, you have to be clean of what that means. If you hold ill judgment about people that have mm -hmm. money, if you hold jealousy, you'll never have, you'll never have it. <laughs> so you have to actually you have to work first on being clean of all your ill feelings, whether they're jealousy or envy or judgment of people with money or what prosperity means. Otherwise, you will never you you wouldn't want to become that because otherwise you would otherwise become something that you inherently dislike in yourself. Right, and uh, a house divided against itself will fall. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you can't have one thought and another one that's opposing. You have a lot of great one. You have a lot of great one-liners, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, it was too much reading, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but I I missed one judgment. Yeah, that's a killer too. The jealousy, envy, but the judgment. I think it's actually I think it's one of the right. most paralyzing one for entrepreneurs, uh -huh. particularly around sales. And you know I did really well. Here I was, this 22 year old you know young guy. Couldn't have been more awkward, honestly. I mean I literally had shoes holes in my shoes. I am not exaggerating. I mean I literally had holes in my shoes, and. Uh, 
because I remember one of them had like a little metal plate in the sole, and the metal plate used to stick out and it would tap on the floor. And I mean, I, I literally had holes in my shoes. And you know, I was just, you just tell them you had tap shoes. Oh my gosh, I was this dorky, way too skinny uh, geek. There's just no denying it. I could show photos, and um, but yet I did. You know, I had no. I was honestly, I was selling thousands of dollars. Right. And it's, hey, you were doing, it, doing the right. Work. It seems crazy, but the re- I had absolutely no judgment of what somebody can. I, to this day, I have no judgment of what somebody can afford or not afford. And I, I work with entrepreneurs all the time that they're discounting their services. They're not charging their full value. And they're like, well, I don't think that person can afford it. They don't look. And I'm like, well, what are you basing that on? I mean, you're being really judgmental. Are you basing it on their clothes? Are you basing it on their address? What are you basing whether they can afford or not afford on it? Because it sounds really judgmental. And you know what it is? They're judging it on themselves. Exactly. And, and, and that's, that's a tricky thing. And I, I, we often have to, to – for most people, not all, but for a lot of entrepreneurs, their target client is not themselves. right? So you can't think about, well, what would I want to spend if you are not your target audience? Mm-hmm. And if, if you don't live, I don't, I don't live remotely like my target photography audience. Like I don't remote, live remotely like them. Um, I've taken the time to, to understand their values and their lifestyle, but I don't, I don't live like they do. So I can't make assessments based on what would I do, right? Because I'm not them, but I know them. I understand them and I understand their values. But judgment, judgment and judgmental values, I mean, it's a huge stumbling block. I think most people need to really remove judgment. Uh, and, and I think they don't realize it's even there, but it's a big, it's a big obstacle in sales because people get caught up in starting to judge what they think is affordable for somebody else. And you really, you're never in a position to know, because I will tell you, you cannot judge a book by its cover. You really don't know what's affordable for one person and, and another, unless they, they make that clear, unless they tell you, but you can't judge it. The other thing about judgment that makes me think of when you create a gallow for someone to hang from, you often end up hanging from it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> another good one. You line. fall into the very trap that you were setting for someone else. You fall in. Absolutely, most definitely. <laughs> oh, this is great. So, uh, how will people get a hold of you? What's what's the best way to to get a hold of you? Well, we're actually really excited here at my team because we're we're launching a new website um, called CreativeWarriorsUnite.com. When I, uh, I launched my podcast just a year ago, and it's called Creative Warriors, and uh, I named it Creative Warriors because at the heart of what I, what I feel it takes to be in business when you're marketing yourself and your talent and putting yourself out there and you are your brand, as a lot of entrepreneurs are, particularly the creatives that I, that I coach, to put yourself out in the world that way is scary. You know, and it really takes the spirit of a warrior. Um, so I named my podcast Creative Warriors because nothing else seemed to fit. You know, a lot of creatives don't see themselves as entrepreneurs. A lot of entrepreneurs don't see themselves as creatives. But this idea of Creative Warriors, somehow everybody got it. And I named my podcast that, and, and I started getting tons and just flooded with emails and comments on social media. Like, oh, I really like that name. And they, they just got it. So it, it's a year later, it's now taken off as its own brand. So we have the Creative Warriors podcast. I have an online coaching program called the Creative Warrior Unleashed. Um, we're going to, we're creating a Creative Warrior Mastermind. So it literally, the it created itself as a community. And so now we're building this, uh, this website as a platform to serve the community. And down the road, there'll be live events, et cetera. So we're very excited about how this grew from within. You know, it wasn't, uh, 
I didn't, there was no plan, but instead I just responded to the community who really responded to this brand, Creative Warriors. So Creative Warriors Unite uh, is, um, by the time this broadcast, will be live and people can check that out, uh, creativewarriorsunite.com. And um, as well as uh, I, I have a, an ebook that I think will probably suit a lot of your listeners and that it is designed, it's called the eight essential elements and, and people can grab it at eight essential elements.com. And uh, it is what I believe after th- more than 30 years, uh, it is what I believe to be the eight essential elements when you're building a business that you're marketing yourself or your talent, which is different than the traditional business model. Because when you're marketing yourself, you, n- you need a whole different business. A lot of traditional business rules don't apply. Um, and this is what I believe are the real eight essential elements that you need. Fantastic. So we'll, we'll go and pick that up. I'll also put that in the show notes too, Jeffrey. So sure. uh, people will have it there, but uh, those that don't go to the website will, will know where to go. That's great. Terrific. Uh, I'm trying to think of someone in the Bi- in a Bible story where he's uh, working away uh, in a grinding up some wheat or something, and they're worried about the people are going to come and steal everything again in, in, the, in the Old Testament. And then an angel appears and says to him, great and mighty warrior or valiant warrior hmm. <laughs> he's looking around thinking who <laughs> yeah i'm hiding down here it's not me but he needed that spoken to yeah. him so that he could become that huh, and I think a lot of us need, need to hear hear what we're, we're capable of you know that we're afraid but we are we can be the valiant warrior if we want yeah to. it's been it's been really interesting to see a community respond to it and, and, and really get it for the way I meant it to be, which is I, I've been a yoga practitioner for a lot of years and there's a sequence, you know, various sequence and poses of, of the warrior pose. Um, and the, all the, the warrior poses in yoga are, they're very, they're strong and solid. They're very core, you know, uses a lot of your core muscles, uh, very wide stance usually. And so it's, it's, it's all about strength. It's not about dominance. It's not about fighting. Right. And that's I was a little concerned with using the word warrior because I didn't want it to. I'm so not a war person. I didn't want it to take on that flavor. And it didn't. People got it like they saw it. They they for those people that are out in the world, as I said, marketing themselves and and, uh, you know, putting their name on their own brand or what have you. They they get the spirit of the warrior. So I, I think it. Uh, yeah, it's, it really seems to have resonated. Well, I mean. We have to have war or we would all be speaking you know russian right now or something (laughs) yeah you know war is a necessary thing uh but yeah i don't want to necessarily be the one out there shooting the gun but uh you know war war we need war in the world unfortunately because if we're all passive then you know the bullies will take over (laughs) and there always will be you know there always will be it's just what you want to represent like uh there's a story of mother Teresa, which became pretty well known that i've always loved which is uh uh, she was asked to participate in a war rally, and she, and they thought for sure you know, Mother Teresa would say yes, and she wound up saying no. And the, as the story goes, uh, her response was, um, "I want to stand. I stand up for what I want more of. So if you have a peace rally, let me know. I'll be there." Right? That's great. Yeah. Well, we need both. Yeah. We need I, I, yeah. I, I really the war like is that. going to be there. Um, yeah. But I thought I love that response. Now, whether it's a true story, made up story or folklore, who knows? But it really embodies the lesson of, uh, you know, yes, war is going to be there. Uh, conflict will always be there. Internal conflict, external conflict. Yeah, it's always going to be there. It's just, you know, what do you stand up for? What are you going to take a stand for? As you were saying before, it's what, what beast, what animal do you feed? What beast do you feed? Mm hmm. 
That one will grow. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, we need to feed the good version of us as opposed to the, oh, I've, I'm a failure. <laughs> the, the the failure dog, you need to be feeding the other dog. You got it. Question. Yeah. Um, what would be some last words of encouragement for, you know, these folks? They're, they're struggling, uh, some of them. Uh, some of them really are lost. They have money, but they really don't know what they need to do next. And maybe they should do photography. Maybe they, they're, they want to do something. Mm-hmm. Just don't know. Well, that, what that to me is the key right there. I mean, what I find fascinating about the baby boomer generation is that it's, you know, just by population, it's been such a major wave going through society that we now have a, a huge population of people who I refer to it as are repurposing their life. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, um, yes, absolutely. Right? I mean, they, they're not letting go of their past and they shouldn't, you know, they have many have a long history and of good work experience and are repurposing their life. Um, and, and that's where I find a lot of us are at. I mean, I, I'm really, you know, I know that I'll be phasing out of photography in the next year or two. I've, I've, I've gone as far as I am choosing to go as a photographer. Um, but the you know I'm I'm just beginning if you will I mean I've been coaching now for about seven years and and uh, public mm-hmm. speaking and to me it's just the beginning I mean I know I've got a good twenty years or more I mean who knows maybe I'll never stop um, so this feels like have it's not an about face it's not even a change of directions honestly it just feels like a change of medium I used to be a photographer and now I'm a coach and this to me is like repurposing your life not that I don't believe that there has to only be one purpose or if there is one core purpose it can show up in different ways uh, but I think there's this huge massive wave of baby boomers who are really interested in, in doing something meaningful, repurposing their lives, uh, I think it's a pretty fantastic opportunity. I agree. I think that it's not the end of their life, it's the beginning of new great things. Yeah, yeah, and we're stubborn as heck, I tell you. I mean, I, I got, you know... I, I'm sure you can relate. We've all, you know, as soon as you turn, what is it, 50, 51, at some point you start getting inundated by the AARP. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wound up posting on Facebook, and it really, I mean, people, everyone responded to it because they just really got it. I posted as, you know, dear AARP, I'd rather pay full price and carry my own SHIT than get your free tote bag. I'll decide when I'm willing to call myself a senior citizen, right? <laughs> you know, I, Boy, that's my wife right yeah, there. I just am not, <laughs> I'd rather pay full price. I'm not opposed to it. Like, it's a good organization. I'm not blasting the organization, but... I'm just not there. Like I am not of the frame of mind that I feel like I should get or deserve a discount. And I certainly don't want a free tote bag. Like (laughs) (laughs) to advertise makes me feel really old. It's just, I'd rather at this point, if anything, I'd rather struggle carrying my stuff. You know, actually uh, I walked by a bookstore one day in New York city and there was a book in the window. And I I don't know if I know the exact title, but it was something like, um, you know, uh, it was definitely geared towards the millennials, the 20 year olds. And it was something about surpassing your parents. And I took a picture of this book. I posted on social media, tagged my kids. I said, you may try, but just so you know, I'm going down with a fight. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, I still have a lot of fight in me as a lot of us do in an age group. So, um, yeah, AARP won't be hearing from me, I'm sure for a very long time. (laughs) Another good one is uh, a plastic surgeon here locally, they uh, they give all their patients a nice big, bright colored bag with plastic surgery on it when they leave. <laughs> <laughs> like that's just don't do that. Right? God, that's, don't do that. That's a really bad. That's just bad marketing. Whoever came up with that idea needs to be fired. Like, that's a really, I mean, really, really bad marketing. Uh, it might be good for you guys. 
not good for your patients. I have to say there was uh, the the Frick, the Frick Museum in New York. Um, they went through a major renovation, and the whole building was wrapped in a banner. And the banner said, uh, like a lot of us on Fifth Avenue, we're having a little work done. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> I don't think there was a person in New York that uh, couldn't relate. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Jeffrey, you, it's been great. I thank you for giving us an hour of your time to – to talk and I'm sure this is going to be helpful to everyone. I know it was helpful for me. So. Well, good for good for you for what you're doing. Like I said, I think this is a we need to have more. There needs to be more conversation about the baby boomers. There's a huge wave of us, and uh, yeah, we're not we're not done. We're repurposing our lives. There's a lot of work for us to do. So uh, good for you for doing the work that you're doing. And I thank you for that. Thank you, Jeffrey. I appreciate it. And we look forward to maybe interviewing you a few months down the road when you've got this new thing going on. And uh, and let's see what, what's happening with you there. It sounds like you're stepping stepping out again. Always. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Thank Jeff. you. Appreciate right, it. Bye. Okay. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Income for Baby Boomers with your host, Ken Queen. Helping boomers like you get a business started you can run from your own home. We interview owners of both online and offline businesses, but most importantly, ones that are run by baby boomers. Stay tuned next week for new and exciting businesses that you can start from your home. Until next time, have a profitable and blessed week.